Hello and welcome to A New and Ancient Story. This is a podcast, a series of conversations, interviews, and occasionally speeches dedicated to the transformation of self and society. The basic idea is that we are moving from a story of separation to a new story, new for the dominant culture at least, of interbeing. What that means will become apparent as you listen to this series. We explore things like technology, spirituality, agriculture, healing, economics, politics, ecology, relationships, education, I mean pretty much everything that is undergoing a transition today as our old story nears collapse. If you want to engage these ideas more deeply, you can come to our website, charleseisenstein.net. Hey, Kelly. Hello. How well can you hear me? Very. Good. Extraordinarily well. Okay. I was going to like ask you about your book and stuff. Um, well, I don't know. I read your, I read your book. Oh, did you? You sent it to me, remember? I, didn't I write a blurb for it? Yes. I th- seem to remember there were three sections. Uh, let's see. Was it um, get... Hold on. Real? Yeah, get oh. real, get well. No, get real, get well, get free. I thought you said wealth. I was like, maybe I should yeah. have done that chapter. Oh, yeah. <laughs> get real, get well, get free. Yeah. So how do, how do, I, how do I get real? Mm. So, again, as we were saying, I used to think that that was about delivering the contents of the locked pharmaceutical cabinet drawer, like the inconvenient science. And I used to think, especially probably the energy with which I wrote my first book, that once somebody is exposed to this, they would never take the bait. Right. Once you know that the efficacy is overpromised and these adverse effects, including impulsive violence and the capacity for a type of chemical uh, dependency that far, you know, far exceeds anything that we are familiar with in the illicit substance realm. You know, once you know that ultimately these medications can induce the recidivistic chronic conditions that they purport to treat, well, then you would never touch one of them. And that's not the case, as we both know, right? It's not just about access to information. And so what I attempted to do in this section is really try to frame uh, the cultural context that has us thinking and believing that pain, adversity, challenges, grief, that these are bad things that should be avoided. Like, how did we get into this um, shared mindset? Because even if you've you've crossed over to a way of life that affords you um, curiosity when you struggle, you're still living in a cultural milieu that, that is going to put pressure on you to react. And it's a challenging path in that way alone. So I tried to really contextualize um, the framing that we're working with. And something that I've found to be pretty beautiful is, is the fact that most of the, the people that I work with, either directly or indirectly, who find themselves medicated, 
psychiatrically, although in some cases it applies to other chronic disease labels, who find themselves medicated, they have this like exquisite sensitivity and often a tremendous kind of unusual power, not the, not the power that we're used to, obviously, in capitalistic, achievement-oriented, productivity-obsessed society, but an unusual kind. And I have a front-row seat, you know, to, to watching the metamorphosis of this from problem and pathology into gift mm-hmm. and often service. Like, there is a, a heart-centered energy to the power that these individuals uh, begin to learn to wield. And so I call them the canaries in the coal mine, right? Because I think that most of the individuals I've encountered, again, who fall into this psychiatric bucket, which is an increasing uh, you know, population the world over, right? They have this, and maybe we all have this belief, but they have this like deep, dark you know, uh, belief that they're sick, that something's wrong with them and that they're like broken. And so when, they, when they're sitting with their internist or with their psychiatrist and they get that first diagnosis, right? That first label, there's a moment where they feel, I've been told and I can imagine, validated and seen for, for that embarrassing, shameful belief down in their core. Yeah, you know, there's, there's a paradox here because when they're being told, oh, the problem is that you're sick. The problem is that you're broken. On another level, it's communicating there's nothing wrong with you. It's yes. not your fault. You're just broken. You're just sick. You, so, like you have a disease that has happened to you. Yes. So it's meeting, it's, it's meeting a need that is a, a, an authentic need to know that you're okay, to know that you're loved, to be accepted by the universe, by the parent, by, by, to belong in the world. So, yeah, it's interesting how they're being told explicitly that there's something wrong with them, but implicitly that there's nothing wrong with them. I'm so glad you, not um, surprisingly, appreciate that because there are many, many layers to what happens. I, I think I call psychiatry like an othering machine. And of course, I'm othering it as I call it an othering machine. But what it does is, is you know, we can say, oh, M- Matthew has bipolar disorder. And so when we, when we say that, we are simultaneously letting him off the hook, right? And also dehumanizing him mm-hmm. because there's no further inquiry into the why of his behavior, the, the nature of his experience, um, or any aspects that make Matthew's signature essence on this planet of interest to anyone else. It's just his disease. And so this might be some, one reason why people are sometimes so hostile to your viewpoint, because mm-hmm. you are, seem to be undermining this thing that they've hooked onto that is actually conveying a truth to them, which is that I am fundamentally okay. Yes. So how do you... Or I can control what's wrong with me. I don't know that they ever get to taste I am fundamentally okay in the patient model but they feel a sense of control over their badness, mm-hmm. their felt wrongness. Mm-hmm. So then there's another thing I want to explore is that in a way we all are actually sick or broken yes. because we live yes. in a pretty toxic environment. So if, if you're 
speaking to somebody who is in this situation, um, how do they get out of that? Because it seems like, okay, if I'm not sick, if, if, if I've been lied to, that my problem is I just have a disease, um, then it seems to be saying to them, okay, well, if that's not true, then it is my fault. Because basically what the disease label is saying is that it's not your fault. So you come along and the first interpretation somebody might take from what you're saying um, that these about psychiatric diagnoses and these categories and, and all, all that, the first interpretation could be, oh, she's saying it's my fault now. Mm-hmm. So how do you avoid communicating that and instead saying something that helps them to see and enact their power? Right. Because it's not so much about blame as much as responsibility. And I love kind of even the, you know, if you break apart the word, it's, it's responsibility, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's not reacting from the patterns Vanderkolk calls trauma, you know, the, the recruitment of the past into the present just perpetually, right? So no longer are you reacting, just playing out these cycles over and over again, which you may have inherited from generations before you, but you're learning to cultivate a capacity to respond to what is, right? And so it's, it's not blaming as much as a reframing that suggests there, there might be meaning in your experience. Are you interested in that? Because the meaning can span from, you know, something that we call schizophrenia being, you know, gluten antigenicity or, you know, uh, something we call catatonic suicidal depression being a B12 deficiency or something we call postpartum psychosis being uh, a thyroid imbalance right? Or it could be that you are having an adverse reaction that's not often talked about in doctor's offices to a vaccine or an antibiotic, right? Or a hormonal IUD, right? So if we assume that there's meaning in what we're calling your symptoms, then we can begin an exploratory process and you are at the helm of the ship, right? doesn't mean you can't receive guidance or support, but only you can figure this out. So it's like, it really is you know, are you interested in embarking on your hero's journey, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, of course, then the meaning can also span to a psycho-spiritual emergence or um, some, you know, sort of recruitment of, of psychic capacity or gifts or clairvoyance, et cetera. Or it could be a toxic relationship, you know, that's, that's really inducing a state of imbalance and, um, you know, sort of pulling you off your... Uh, connection to your center. So it's, this is either of interest or it's not. And if it's not, or it feels overwhelming, or you're not ready, then it's, there's going to be resistance of all, of all flavors. And the truth is we're just not ready when we're not ready. I've, I've found that I cannot induce readiness despite my best efforts. And I look back on so many points in my journey and there were things I just wasn't ready for. And then one day I was. This is related to the earlier part of our conversation, the Gwyneth Paltrow, uh, where, you know, there's this expanding radicalization that I see in people where it might begin with the yoga class, you know, and I'm going to start a meditation practice and use a yoni egg or something like that. Uh, And that seems already so liberated, so audacious. But then there are other parts of 
reality that so-called reality in quotes that they take for granted as unassailable and unquestionable, such as uh, the basic soundness of the medical pharmaceutical complex. But they wouldn't use that word, of course, if they believe in the basic soundness of it, they would call it modern medicine uh, or the basic uh, soundness of our political system that we're the best country in the world, bringing with maybe some hiccups, bringing democracy and liberty to the rest of the world, or any, you know, pick any other orthodoxy. So there's, so people believe of themselves that they, especially if they've gone through some kind of liberation from a smaller reality, and now the new reality seems like all of reality. And this has kind of become my strategy to understand that eventually, whatever new reality they've been birthed into eventually becomes confining. Mm. And it's the people who are wanting to bust out of that, that are ready and willing to hear something that before that growth has happened into the, the larger cocoon or the larger snake skin, like the snake doesn't want to molt when he's just gotten a new skin. You know, it has to, he has to be ready to burst out of that. Right. And so for me, it's about sensing, like anytime I'm talking to somebody or on a panel or, you know, in front of an audience I do my best to kind of probe, to feel into it. What are people ready to hear and what is going to seem so ridiculous that they're just the iron curtain is going to come down? Um, there's all kinds of forbidden territory that I could trod into, uh, but they're not ready for that. And it would actually almost be an act of aggression, aggression yeah. to make them believe that. So it's a matter of sensing probing, like looking for little cues about what someone's open to, rather than this idea of, well, I'm going to speak my truth. Right. What is my truth anyway? What is me outside of relationships? Right. There are as many truths as there are individuals, right? And, And probably it's possible that the truth always knows that it's not the only one. And so that's, you know, where people talk about maybe mind and, and you advocate for and practice, you know, the utterance of, I don't know, you know, so how do you get to um, inhabit a posture where that's actually your most uh, direct experience of personal power to say, I don't know, and to try on um, different realities. And then the sensing mechanism becomes the one that feels best to your body, right? The, it mm-hmm. feels best to hold in your heart. That's your truth for the moment, you know? But I've I found that um, in my experience, witnessing people come off of psychiatric medications, which is, you know, I've been what I've devoted myself to for the past decade, the in-between, right? You would call it the space between stories. And on, on a holofractal micro level in this individual's experience, that's, that's where they have to pass through from the medicated consciousness and everything that it meant to them to open up a bottle that has their name on it, that is perhaps sending a subliminal message that is at once, as we said, comforting and also indicting, you know, to, to mm-hmm. transition into... Um, their own world-creating capacity. There is a rubble, you know, from their old house, you know, that, that becomes the foundation of the new that they have to build and they, they don't have contact with 
any desire, you know, because they have to engage in new, um, a new kind of reality that reflects who they're becoming. And that's why, you know, when you describe how people can, you know, they, they break through in one realm, but then they're just hunker down in all these other realms, it's very common um, and makes a lot of sense because I think ultimately the awakening process, if you want to call it that, you probably don't, but um, is it's an adultification, right? I, I, to me, and that's how I see it. It's, it's um, resolving the childlike projections of the adult authority onto all of these different establishments, essentially, or orthodoxies that we just have to believe have our best interest at heart. It's the parent we never had. And mm-hmm. so what I witness in this process with, with the folks that I, I work with is that they are initiating themselves to their own adult consciousness. And adult consciousness, I think by many definitions, can hold both the good and the bad object, right? So it's not I'm the good projecting the bad, ignorant of my own bad. It's not I'm the bad projecting the good, worshiping the good outside me, right? It holds both all the time in all settings, in all people. And that is um, not everyone's going to get there, right? And, and not everyone is drawn to that. It might feel better to persist in, in the childlike consciousness and the associated defenses. Mm-hmm. It's such a strong patterning. I mean, I'm even seeing it in myself. Oh, certainly. How do you, you know, think just, my greatest credential is <laughs> how good I am at projecting good and bad objects all over the world? Yeah. And, and this search for the infallible parent and the feeling of betrayal that comes when the infallible parent is revealed to have clay feet, uh, the defensiveness that comes when that projected parent is assaulted, questioned even. Yes. Um, you know, I'm thinking about some of the responses that did come in from our previous conversations where people were really upset. Um, and they felt, I think sometimes they felt betrayed yeah. because here's Charles who is speaking so much of what has been in their, in their secret heart, in their secret thoughts. So it's like, wow, I've been waiting for somebody to say that. And so then comes the projection of here's finally an authority figure that I can trust. Mm. And then this authority figure says something that, um, that contradicts what the person holds dear. Yeah. And so then there's a feeling of betrayal. I've had that experience so many times, particularly around uh, vaccine science, you know, where there will be somebody I admire on spiritual figure, admire on so many levels or antidepressants, you know, and then they, and then they endorse one or the other. And I feel like, wait, I thought I could trust you. (laughs) You know, I get that. Right. Yeah. And then, uh, and then, so then like you write them off, you know, and then the the Dalai Lama, I think I heard you write off the Dalai Lama for that reason. (laughs) Who did that? I didn't do that. Yeah, so much for him, you know. But, but pushing polio vaccine on innocent children, yeah, maybe. Yeah, but but what if we? And here, okay, two things I want want to say now. One is we're mentioning vaccines, which is like the most polarizing, controversial issue right now. Um, and the other is, um, can we just understand that nobody, including ourselves, is fully radicalized yet. Radicalized meaning in the sense of radical, in the sense of understanding the root of our condition. And, the, you know, instead of 
It's an unspeakable yeah. thing, probably, right? We would have nothing to say if we did. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm not taking it to that metaphysical level. I'm just saying, like, you know, some of our beliefs and opinions are actually part of the old story, contributing to the old story. We don't even know it. Oh, yeah. Think yeah. That it's just real. Okay. And so, you know, understanding that about everybody, then we no longer fall into this trap of, of good guys and bad guys writing this person off because they don't get it about X, Y, and Z, right. even if they do get it about A, B, and C. Right. Because then we end up becoming fascists in a way. We end up, or, or Bolsheviks, you know, we end up purging, purging all of the heretics, purging all of the crime thinkers, purging everybody except ultimately in the end, purging everybody except ourselves. We end up alone because nobody is quite as pure as I am because nobody's going to believe everything I believe. And instead to see people with generous eyes and, and also to hold that maybe I don't know. Like, I don't know. Maybe well, yeah, vaccines because, are, are yeah. the best. I, I, I don't know. I really don't. Right. But, Beneath that seemingly narcissistic posture of I'm the only one who has all of the answers, of course, is, is a deeply buried self-rejection and self-loathing and self-judgment, right? I, 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 I'm of the perspective that we, we can't really experience judgment of others if we have resolved our own um, self-rejection and we've come to a place of unconditional love for all of those shameful, uh, you know, all, you know, the, the lazy, lying, cheating loser who doesn't know anything and doesn't know how to do anything inside of each of us, right? We mm -hmm. each have that person and we've curated elements of our personhood to present to the world, either it, consistent with the good or bad object we are more comfortable holding. But in the end, it's in there too. And so anytime I feel, you know, that judgment come up, I'm pretty clear, you know, that, that it, it's a reflection of my own state of self, self judgment. And so how do we resolve that? Yeah. And, and for me, like, sometimes I question how much of that, of what you just said, is just conflict avoidance. Conflict yeah. avoidance. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm going to just hold people in non-judgment rather than, you know, jump into the fight. It's um, more how, it's more a personal uh, commitment to a, uh, re cultivating a reflex, right? So when I am charged or triggered as is in the zeitgeist, I have a signature, right? So I get a racing heart. I feel a sense of urgency to communicate usually not by direct interaction like this, but by um, text or email hmm. or sometimes a letter, right? And, it, and that is my defensive structure. That's how I know that I am, my wound is speaking, right? Like that's how I know it's been yeah. hurting, but I don't feel it, you know, as we discussed, because I have this signature defensive structure. So if I respond to that signature defense and I recognize it and my first response is not to engage another but first to turn towards myself and maybe mm -hmm. just even sit and hold myself for three minutes then then that's that's a level of commitment that I think it's not about spiritual bypassing like everyone loves everybody and we're all here to be happy on planet earth uh, because to get to that point requires a level of personal healing we none of us may ever achieve in this lifetime and that's okay but it's about, I think, a commitment to a certain level of turning inward when the impulse is to uh, focus outward and 
you know, not to get into the vaccine topic, but I do think that I've come to a place from having, you know, gone down the rabbit hole of um, scientific inquiry around it and having found, you know, all of this fascinating, um, this large body of literature that supports a very different perspective on the safety, efficacy, necessity, utility of, of this pharmaceutical intervention. I've really graduated, if you want to say, although that implies like linear progression, I've come to a place um, where I see it as one of the most poetic, maybe, uh, expressions of the externalized bad object, right? Because it's like these invisible, almost like with demonic properties, these invisible microbes that are going to get in us take over and kill us, right? So here we have our weapons, right? These sharp pointy weapons and, and you're gonna take on the weapon and you're gonna be safe. You're gonna remain good, right? And so um, what does it say that it's one of the more contentious topics and polarizing topics? It might just say, wow, we're working that out, right? Like we are, we are at a point where this ultimate expression of, um, dualism, if you will, is, is in its death throes, perhaps, and is potentially going to be subsumed by a consciousness that is even scientifically expressive of interconnectedness. Like if mm -hmm. you look at the yeah. research on the microbiome, it, it tells that more um, yin story, you know, about our place in, in the scheme of um, living uh, I think it's. I. 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 I think that it is uh, very significant that this issue is rising into contentiousness, yeah. because it wasn't like twenty years ago. It was pretty fringe. I mean, there were a lot of people who were not vaccinating, who were opposed to vaccines, um, who believed that vaccines had harmed their children and so forth. But it wasn't a big public debate, partly because most people just took it for granted that that progress meant increasing vaccination, vaccination rates, progress meant one disease after another after another succumbing to the onward march of medical technology. It was, it wasn't, it's that, that saying, I can't remember who, who coined it originally, but a new truth comes into being. First it is ignored, then it is yes. attacked. Finally, it is accepted as self-evident. I've heard it associated with Gandhi, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so... So the fact that it is now a contentious issue does point to some something that um, is up for us as a culture. And I'm, I'm more interested in that than I am in the actual issue. Absolutely. No, at this point I am too. I'm also thoroughly exhausted by the debate. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, I'm interested in kind of the, the I guess, you know, meta uh, perspectives on it. You know, one of which is, again, in, in my skewed perspective, recruits this child and adult um, power dynamic, right? Because the topic of vaccination necessarily, particularly when we talk about mandates, necessarily invokes the conversation of body, bodily sovereignty, mm -hmm. right? So who, where, where does your body um, responsibility begin and end? Who can penetrate your body and can they do so against your will for the greater good, um, or, or so as. Yeah, it's related to, to the other 
the, the shadow side of the issue of drugs, which is illegal drugs and what you can put into your body. Right. What the state can tell you you can't put into your you body. Cannot. Right. Yeah. Right. Although I'm particularly interested in the penetrative aspect of, of vaccines. And, you know, in psychiatry, um, I, actually, many people don't know this. So I shouldn't start the sentence with, you know, many people don't know that all over this country today, there will be civilians who are held down and medicated by injection thoroughly against their will. This is going on in every hospital likely that has a locked psychiatric unit. And so, you know, we, we talk about vaccines because it's, you know, out in the public, but this is a very relevant issue to those who find themselves marginalized, labeled, or otherwise identified as being mentally sick, right? So I'm interested in the, in the penetrative element because it's, um, if, if you allow authorities to penetrate your body, if we do, then there has been a, a literal and figurative skin broken that allows all sorts of blurring. And so it's kind of like, you know, when you're in a childlike orientation towards authority, you sort of assume you don't know best. Your mommy takes you to the doctor. Your mommy says, take this medicine. Your mommy tells you what to do. You don't know how to run your body. But if we assume adult consciousness, only you, you don't even need a gynecologist to, you know, look into your vagina because you actually have the capacity to learn into it and explore your own body better than anyone else could. And that again, doesn't mean you don't need help and support and community, et cetera, to, to foster the development of that intuition. But to my mind, that's an adult consciousness. So it's like we're teetering on the edge of the safety, familiarity, and perhaps some of the elements of control that are conferred by a childlike consciousness and then wondering if we're ready to step into the responsibility that comes with the, you know, adult mm -hmm. level of consciousness. And it, it, it's yeah. probably- I mean, you could make a very cynical argument that people are not actually ready to step into adult consciousness. Could having, be. Having lacked um, initiatory experiences, um, exactly. uh, coming of age initiations, having been held in a system their entire lives that is, seemingly consciously designed to thwart the higher levels of cognitive and spiritual development. Uh, this has just been coming up a lot in, um, in parenting for me as we're raising, you know, Carrie is now six. So um, we're not going to homeschool them because in where we live, there's nobody else, mm. maybe some far right evangelical Christians yeah. um, homeschooling. So we got to send them to school. And so here are the limited options. And one of the things that, so, so standard parenting here includes not just school, but also organized sports. Mm. And I, we, I went to, Kerry went to see his cousin playing soccer, you know, and, and so the, the rules, the teams, everything is ordained by adults. Whereas when I was a kid, we still had these neighborhood pickup games where first yeah. we'd spend about half an hour arguing about the rules. <laughs> then we would pick teams and do all kinds of trading about that. Then we'd start playing and there'd be a dispute and we'd spend another half hour debating, you know, what that rule was, was that rule broken, you know, can, and then, and, and so like the actual playing of the game would take maybe only like half of our time would be actually spent playing the game. But what we learned was to resolve disputes without appealing to authority. 
Like this is essential to becoming an adult in community. It's not just a sovereign individual thing. That's part of it. But it's also how to interact with peers yes. and not always look to the authority to adjudicate whatever yes. violation you think and surrendering your authority to the, to the authority. So, so maybe, I, I'm not sure you know, how far I want to take this line of reasoning, but maybe most of us are not actually ready to be adults. And then what do we do? Do we then say, do we resign ourselves to the necessity of a nanny state? Right. Yeah, no, it's not unlike our immune systems having been insufficiently stimulated and then come to adulthood. Uh, you know, we're struggling with autoimmunity and all sorts of other imbalances that could have easily been uh, avoided through proper, you know, um, uh, interaction, natural interaction, whatever you want to call it, with the microbial world. I mean, that's one perspective too. I think, I think this is a relevant, it's a relevant metaphor because I don't know if we are largely insufficiently prepared for this moment that we're coming to, but I choose to believe largely because of the sentinels I and privileged to bear witness to. I, I see that these individuals who, who come off medication, who walk away from their diagnoses, their medications, their identification as a patient ever again, what I witness coming from them is a kind of light that has all of the colors of the rainbow in it, like mm -hmm. <laughs> including black, you know, it has all of them. Um, it's like the white hole around the black hole. And, and, I have to believe that they're awakening and activating and, you know, working with whatever validation I can provide, because that's really all I do, to some end, and that it's not about the majority being ready, right? It's about these certain intrepid and really courageous in the true, like, 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 like heart, root of the word um, sense, they're, they're, they're going to show us the way. I, I believe that. And... So the rest of us, you know, can do our work to the capacity that we can do it or maybe not do it at all. But I still think that this, this shift into maturation can happen. And I think there's another, you know, kind of metaphor that has, you know, around the body sovereignty question that has to do, you could probably flesh this out again, pun intended, better than I can. But it's like we're all cells, right, with our cell walls. And a cell can't function without the integrity of mm -hmm. its cell wall. It's that paradox, right? It's separate, but also um, cannot survive on its own. And so it's like we're organizing, I had this thought, you know, based on the community that I'm trying to, you know, grow around this, to hold people who are in process like this. It's like, why are we siloing off into like-minded little blebs, you know? Like, is that a bad mm -hmm. thing? Should we be just with everyone who's, should you, should you homeschool with the right wing, you know, evangelical Christians? Is that better for you? Um, and I think part of the reason we are, it's because we're like being attracted each to our own cell lines. You know, it's like, mm -hmm. oh, we're all liver cells. Amazing. Now we know where we go and the heart cells are over there and the kidney ones are down there. And it's like, we're figuring out all of these layers of, of important distinction and boundaries, if, if you will. Um, in the setting of this greater 
connectedness. And so perhaps those who, who have been insufficiently conditioned to take personal responsibility because of simple omissions from their childhood, like playing pickup games, you know, maybe they are a certain organ too. I don't mm-hmm. know. Yeah. I mean, I do think that, that uh, our future as, as a species is to become like, like a body um, yeah. with that level of harmony and cooperation and selflessness Mm. You know, uh, there's no cell in your body that is just in it for itself, unless it's a cancer cell. And so I do think that there's something to this, this tissue differentiation that you're describing. Um, There are people who have thought about this before. I mean, this is, you know, 100, 200 years old. I never have original ideas ever. (laughs) But but usually it's been, but usually it's been conceived as along the lines of division of labor. Yeah. Um, you know, the different professions in a hierarchical system. So I do think that there is something to this. Um, obviously, in a body, like your heart isn't going to hate and distrust your liver. So there's definitely not, so maybe coalescing into organs or, you know, tissues is a first step or one of the steps. There's also the step of all the organs working harmoniously together. Um, what do you think about the, the cancer piece, though? Because I, I thought about that, too. I think about cancer often because, as you know, my, my mentor, Nick Gonzalez, you know, brought me deep into that world of, of questioning uh, what cancer might be all about, right? And, of course, the dominant narrative is that it's cells gone rogue and mistaken mutations that have taken over, and now this you got to fight this bad thing within you that could kill you. Um, and of course, yeah. there's, there's not a recognition that it's you. It's like, no, that's me messaging me about me, right? That's one right. perspective. That was kind of his perspective. But I wonder if the, the cancer cell, um, you know, morphic field, if you will, or, or the, the, the ideology driving the life of a cancer cell is the expression of... Um, a sort of sleeping, sleeping state, you know, a sort of like ignorance without the pejorative mm-hmm. elements of ignorance to the connectedness to the whole. Like if, if, if we think we're in it to win and we're in it for ourselves, we can gather together into a tumor, right? And as, as, assert that over ourselves, right? Like, right. isn't that what's happening now? You know, isn't yeah. that... Right. Um, and commandeer, commandeer the resources of the body to serve our own growth. That's what the tumor does. Yes. It, it, it makes the body grow new blood vessels to feed it. It, it. it commandeers all of the body's resources. And you could definitely say that humans are doing that uh, to the planet too. Uh, and that therefore, one way to look at cancer is that it's cells that have forgotten. Yeah, functions. exactly. Yeah. And, and the solution then or the, the healing would be in a reawakening and a re-remembering. Right, a remembrance. And, remembrance. and arguably love. You know, I think that his, his um, protocol worked. Of course, at the time I was studying with him, I thought it worked because, and maybe it does in part because of detox and, you know, all of these biological elements of um, what a nutrient-dense diet does and the glandular supplements, et cetera. But I think a large part of how and why it sustains people over decades beyond, you know, what is offered through chemotherapy is because it's a kind of self-loving ritual. 
um, mm-hmm. in the deepest sense, and 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 because he had the capacity to dispel fear. So there's this safety and love that is conferred, you know, through yeah. the protocol, yeah. and it maybe has the capacity to re-educate those cells. I don't know. I want to return to one earlier thing that that um, gave me an idea. The, the uh, going back to the vaccine topic and. The, um, in case people haven't left the conversation yet. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, sometimes I joke that if I want to totally alienate half my audience immediately, all, well, I have to do is, <laughs> all I have to do is come out with an opinion on vaccines. It doesn't matter what opinion. You know, it could be pro or anti, but yeah. have, are you now and or have you ever been an anti-vaxxer? Right. Kelly? So, well, now so, we have a new category. It's ex-vaxxers. So maybe uh, you can do that. So... Um, so then, but I want to connect it to the um, uh, maturation theme, the child maturing into an adult. Uh, this is something that I've observed having had four children, um, which also really tweaks some people. Man, that I get called out <laughs> for, you know, adding to the population like that. Um, and demanded to apologize to, anyway, that's a whole other topic. Um, Your poor kids and the therapy they're gonna need if they ever (laughs) about that perspective. Yeah, anyway, um, yeah, so having observed these children, it seems like part of becoming a human is to um, draw distinctions, to to operate, to make categories. this has certainly, it's certainly the root of a lot of evil, the, the categorization of everything, the diagnosing of everything, the standardization of everything, which follows the categorization of everything. This is the foundation of industry. It's the foundation of the commodity economy. It's the foundation of dehumanization, putting people into categories, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, so there's a lot of poisonous fruit that has come from, from it, but it's also a fundamental human capacity. It's what language is all about. Yeah. And, and so I think that um, in contrast to some extreme anti-civ, anti-civilization thinkers, our destiny is not to undo this uh, mental faculty, but to integrate it and transcend it. Mm. So anyway, as far as my children go, one of the first distinctions, like this primal distinction that they make is between good and bad. Mm. And Carrie for a couple of years has been really working with this, fascinated by Darth Vader, fascinated by, by the bad guys in the superhero movies, you know, uh, just trying to like make sense of this yeah. idea of bad. And it is a very childish way of seeing the world. So one symptom of our cultural um but why sorry hold your thought but i just want to insert there it's not it doesn't necessarily i don't think it's a default element of child psychology i think it grows from the experience of conditional love so yeah i mean that's that's what i've been saying but i'm questioning that right now and i'm wondering if that if there maybe it maybe is a stage that we, that is artificially prolonged in our culture by the culture, mm. by the media, by the entire narrative of 
of good versus evil and redemptive violence that goes along with it. This is something I've been really writing about a lot recently because it, it's the foundational mentality of war. You yes. Solve the problem by defeating the bad guy. So what if it's not like just some wrong thing, but, if it, but it's like a developmental stage that mm. been held in artificially. And so one symptom of this retardation is that people, whatever the issue, but especially vaccines, people automatically jump to it's good, it's bad, right. they're good, they're bad. Charles is good, Charles is bad. Charles, boy, boy, I sure liked what you were saying about peace, Charles. I sure liked what you were saying about climate. But now you're, you're, ta- you're, you're cavorting with an anti-vaxxer who's therefore anti-science, who's therefore in league with the climate deniers, and we need more science, not less. And so, gosh, there's the betrayal thing. There's the parental abandonment thing. There's the, the you know, now, I've, now I'm uh, consigned to the realm of the damned because I've committed this betrayal. And that's something that comes from a lack of maturity because the adult, the mature adult does not see the world in terms of good and bad. It's like you were saying with these yeah. patients who are, are radiating all the colors of the rainbow. It's not that they are now vessels of white light. No. No, but no. They, are, they are more radiant, yeah. as you described it, than before. Um, I think I, I appreciate that so much, and, I, and it makes me sort of consider, um, right from a parenting perspective, from a mothering perspective, um, well, I'll back up and I'll say, it's, a, it's of interest to me. I don't know if you can relate to this at all, but that I have never really experienced pride. Pride, like the, the, the feeling of pride is, is almost indescribably distinct from any other human feeling. Mm. Um, and I have experienced pride in the moments where I have allowed my children to bring up badness in me and I have felt myself grow big enough to simply contain it within myself and to not respond or react, right? Like there, I actually wrote, wrote about this in the book, but because it was such a moment of pride and I think it's, it's like I'm becoming an adult, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in the ways we're describing when I moved down to Miami from New York and, and you know what went into that move mm-hmm. and it was just what a, Herculean, um, you know, spiritual task this was for me to meet. And, uh, you know, I'm down here by myself in a house for the first time, you know, on my own. And, and my daughter starts crying at night, one night saying, I hate it here. I want to go back. You never asked me if mm. you never asked me if, if we should move. And I thought it was a bad idea and I miss my friends and I don't like school and she's crying. Right. So mm. inside of me gets kicked up. This is bad. She needs to stop. I want to go to sleep. How dare she after all I've done and after how mm. all this martyr victim stuff, after everything I've done. And in that moment I felt I can hold this. I can let it alchemize inside me, like swirl around. I don't have to do anything. I just have to like Mm -hmm. grow the barrel of my chest and hold it. Mm -hmm. And all it was, it was an incredible um, effort, but all that I 
could do and did do was I put my hand on her back and I said, it's hard. That's all I could mutter, right? Because if I spoke anything more or something untoward might have come out. And so in that experience, in that lived experience, oh, so by the way, but she cries for another maybe two, three minutes, gets up, blows her nose, like makes a joke about how she sounds like an elephant, gets back into bed and goes to sleep. Yeah. Right. So, so there I can see the natural history of sadness, frustration, anger, that it has an arc, right? When it's uninterfered with and uninterrupted. And I believe that then she had the lived experience of feeling bad feelings that most parents don't want to feel either. So they don't like it. She doesn't like it. So feeling these bad feelings and having it be totally safe and okay. Yeah. Right. So, so maybe that's, so that's part of the maturation process. You know, I, I, um, cause like I was just thinking a little bit more, I have not used conditional approval and shaming and, and punishment on my children. So they're not getting it from me and not that much from the mothers of the children, you know, uh, I mean, I mean, of course, there's some ambient in the culture, but I don't think you can explain this, what I'm seeing now as a stage, away just that way mm-hmm. um, as cultural, cultural, a cultural wounding. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it comes like even like this infantile thing of, you know, that's hot. I don't touch it. Ouch. Like yeah. pain, pleasure. Like there is a basic dualism that you start with. Uh, in the Tao, the primordial undifferentiated Tao, it, it gives birth to, to two, the yin and the yang. Yes. And the yin and the yang then give birth to the 10,000 things. So, you know, the, so you start with the yin and the yang, and then you realize that this way of organizing the world is insufficient. Mm. Right. So what you're describing is, is the maturation process or a sign that you've, you know, at least graduated beyond reacting from the, the primal distinction of good and bad. Uh, yeah. I just want to make one more meta comment and then see if you want to say anything. Um, one of my mottos recently has been that in any polarized situation, such as a war, the pacifist is more hated than the enemy. Mm. Because the enemy props you up in your identity as the good guy. But the pacifist calls it all into question. So I'm just wondering if there are partisans of the vaccine debate listening to us who who are like so tweaked because not only am I not supporting their side, but I'm not even taking sides. Right. Uh, Maybe you would call me a fence sitter. But it's, or, you know, escaping into some philosophical meta understanding of the vaccine question. But, you know, I don't think that the uh, resolution to society's troubles will come through one side finally defeating the other side in pitched battle. So that's, that's why I'm not, even if I do have opinions, you know, I have opinions about this and many other issues. I'm more interested in addressing the polarization. I mean, I, I think that, that pretty much everything taken for granted by, by our social institutions is wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why when yeah. I'll have a friend say, did you hear about 
you know, this shooting or this, what do you think happened? And, and often I'll just say, whatever you've been told by media happened is certainly not what happened. And I, I otherwise don't know. <laughs> right? Like all well, I know is that it wasn't that. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the media gets it right by accident sometimes. Probably. Um, you know, and like then there's all these rabbit holes, these conspiracy rabbit holes that, I mean, that's a whole other topic. Uh, like I don't think that, you know, most of these, mass shootings are staged events and so forth like there's a whole conspiracy yeah there's always layers of conspiracy yeah. you know i tend to focus on you know again with the bias the right. psychiatric bias and right um, what i've learned about the role of psychiatric meds in uh certain individuals potentially who have liver cytochrome variants um mm -hmm. you know and, and the role that they play in impulsive violence and just again it could be that we're saying umbrellas cause the rain, but there's some pretty compelling literature that, yeah. you know, describes this causal relationship. Also, I know individuals. You know, I know this guy, David Carmichael, who was prescribed Paxil for run-of-the-mill work stress, and he murdered his 11-year-old. Mm -hmm. Like, I've felt, I've stood next to this man and, and wept listening to his story, you know. So, so again, that's going to forever bias, you know, the, the filtering of information. We're all, we're all doing that all the time. We're allowing in what is already resonant with, you know, our perspective. But, yeah, yeah I mean, when you describe, like, all of these, and I know you support people so much in navigating their activist impulse, right? But I've come to to the perspective that, you know, again, when we're talking about individuals who are, are sensitive mm -hmm. to the grief of the collective, um, to this misalignment, to the calling forth of this, you know, sort of new um, fabric we're all supposed to be weaving, they're necessarily gonna feel overwhelmed. They might be the pacifists, not for lack of caring, right? But for just the, the, the feeling of overwhelm that is induced by how many things um, hurt, you know, and that's why, uh, you know, one of my great advocacies has become like, no, you don't have to take a side on pharmaceuticals or on, you know, GMOs or on home birth or any of the things I clearly have opinions about, but you can simply engage in the chopping wood and carrying water of your self-care, mm -hmm. putting yourself as your number one priority like treating yourself like a newborn baby, you know, that, that you hold for two and a half hours a day at least, right? And that somehow, somehow, and I've, I've witnessed this so many times, somehow allows for the perfect next step for you to become so clear that you don't even have to think about it. Mm -hmm. And every step follows the next. And if you just focus your energy on, on this level of self-care, and it should be uncomfortable because it flies in the face of so many other energetic pulls on our attention, mm -hmm. um, it's a great act of, of service to the collective and, of course, to yourself. So mm -hmm. that's really, if, the, if I have a rallying cry, that's it. Well, that's useful medicine for me. I mean, I sometimes have a mini guilt trip if I s sleep in. Okay, I know. I know. Yeah. Me too. Of course. Yeah. Of course. And, you know, if, if you go out when you have all this work to do and you go out with a friend or, yeah, it's, yeah. it's these little acts of defiance um, against our own programming that mm -hmm. loosens up um, or, or maybe widens the birth canal, you know, for your more authentic self. We, we should probably bring it to a close soon, but I wanted to say one thing about what I really appreciate about your book. 
And and that gives me just confirms my, you know, gut feeling uh, that we are deep allies, because when people abandon reality, <laughs> abandon reality as it is culturally constructed, the reality of the doctor can fix you, the doctor knows best, for example, and and everything else that goes along with it in the network of institutions that run our civilization. When people abandon that, it is a really hard journey. Mm. And my job is essentially to remind people that they're not crazy because yes, mine too. Yes. that's pretty much a definition of insane is that you're, you're living in a different reality than somebody else. Um, but you know, to, to paraphrase Krishnamurti, what if the dominant reality is in fact insane and by abandoning it, you are, as you say in your book, getting real, getting well and getting free. So it's, it's, uh, I think your book can be a, a powerful companion to somebody who is taking steps on this journey, you know, at least in the medical realm, it takes courage to do that, you know? Tremendous. Yeah. I have like the most uh, woke friends who like when their kid gets a fever, baby Tylenol, you know, yeah. take down the fever, war on the body, war on the self, like that fear. So I, I want to thank you for writing that book that can hold people in a more sane reality than than the one that is offered to us. Thank you. Yeah, no, I mean, you're, uh, you're referenced throughout and it's, it's probably because if we do anything, we, we do offer um, this reflection and validation that people who are called to this kind of process, if you want to call it self-discovery, self-healing, awakening, um, there is there is always a voice and you and I have discussed this, right? That we experience this too. There's always a voice that says, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? Get back up into the uterus. You know, it was cozy there or just, you know, stop running your mouth about, you know, how, how you want to grow and change and explore. And, um, and if there is someone who, who feels resonant, feels like part of that same cell line, part of that same tissue who can say, no, keep going, like you're doing it. And, and you're doing it exactly the way you should be doing it. Uh, it can be healing, you know, and I've been told by many patients, you know, patients don't turn back, you know, after they, they fly my nest and say, oh, all of that dietary advice you gave me was excellent. You know, no, they say, thank you for telling me, being perhaps the first to tell me that I wasn't crazy. Mm -hmm. That's it, you know, and, and so sometimes, um, because I am of the old story and perhaps a little of the new, sometimes that is that anointment is is most easily received um, from you know someone who wore the white coat. Mm -hmm. Yep. All right. Well, um, anything else you want to say? That sounded like a pretty good. Pretty yeah. good ending. But. No, thank you. I, you know, I love having this level of, of conversation. I mean, there's, there's certainly, I don't want to um, impart the message that 
that the book is on this level of discourse because it's very practical. Like there's, you know, how to work with urinary tract infections and stuff without <laughs> antibiotics. You know? so it's very, very much on that um, secular realm, but I yeah. so appreciated the conversation and your, um, you know, your words of acknowledgement are yeah. uh, important to me. You make me feel not crazy myself. So thank yeah. you. So next next podcast, we'll talk about urinary infections. That'd be great. My audience will love it. How to treat them naturally. <laughs> important. Dispels cool. fear to know that's possible. All right. Yeah, I, mean, I feel like, I, I don't know, if someday when we both die and we're in heaven, we'll have like some actual like really long conversations. We'll finally <laughs> be able to, to, you know, take all the time that we... Uh, Figure everything out, finally. It's just so fun. I don't know. I just have so much fun talking to you. Likewise. All right, Kelly. Thank you. Take care. This has been a new and ancient story with your host, Charles Eisenstein. I offer this podcast in the spirit of the gift, by which I mean that I don't withhold premium content for a price or put up paywalls or do affiliate marketing or have advertising or anything like that. Instead, I rely on supporters like you. If you would like to support it, you can subscribe at charleseisenstein.net for a small monthly amount, or you can subscribe for free as well. Either way, you get the same content, everything's the same, and you'll be notified every time a new podcast comes out. Also on the site, you can find archived episodes along with everything else that I produce, essays, books, videos, online courses. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll be with you again next time.